You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, we are continuing our series, and it's called Stand. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it's called Stand because we're talking about how do we stand in a culture that is bowing or in a culture that demands that we bow to their values or to their idols or to the things that they, uh, their agenda to the things that they put up uh, in our lives. This is part number two. If you missed part number one, it's on YouTube. It's on our podcast. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because last week we talked about um, culture's agenda, how culture is not neutral. Culture has an agenda because it's being influenced by our spiritual enemy, the devil, um, and he knows if he can influence culture, that culture will influence the masses or the majority, and eventually it will influence the church. And uh, the enemy's job is to get the church to be soft and to be, uh, if I can say it this way, uh, culturally relevant and acceptable. Uh, But I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus was not culturally relevant or acceptable in how he preached and what he did. He was very much black and white. Um, And not only did he get in trouble with the world's culture, but Jesus also got in quite a bit of trouble with the religious culture as well. But sometimes, and especially in these times, as we are approaching, I believe, the end times, I think that we have got to make sure that we are doing our diligence in preaching the whole truth of God's word. Not just the parts that make us feel good, because if I can be honest with you, it's easy to preach the things that make us feel good. But I, right here, Pastor Dan, I have to answer to God someday about what I said while I was up here and what I said while I was leading this church. And so I, I, I don't know about you, but I have an incredible uh, healthy fear of God, so much so that I will teach you what's in here. And that's another reason we give you the note-taking cards, because it's not about my interpretation of this book. It's about what God wants to say to this church body. And so we give you those note-taking cards so you can go home and continue studying this week. Go home, digest it, chew on it a little bit, and remind yourself of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life personally. And uh, I promise you, one of these, uh, this, today's message is going to impact you, but also um, next week, in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some pretty uh, deep and heavy uh, topics, some hot topics, if you will, put it that way. Uh, and so we'll get to those next week. But today, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3, so if you brought your Bible, if you have your, uh, you know, your phone, if you have it on there, we'll also have it on the screen for you. Daniel chapter 3, you can follow along with us. Here's what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 3. We see, and we talked about them last week, we see uh, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their new names under the Babylonian Empire. They received new names once they... Um, the, the people of God were captured and taken over, and Daniel and his three friends, these guys, they were uh, renamed in this new culture, in this new kingdom that they are a part of. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, there's the popular story in, in, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most people have heard this story before, even if you haven't been in church. But basically what happens is um, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he uh, builds this giant gold idol, this giant gold statue. And he puts it out there and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play all these instruments. When you read Daniel chapter 3, he names all these instruments off. We're going to play all these instruments. And when they play this certain tune, this, this, this music, everyone will need to bow to the idol that I've created. You need to bow down and worship the idol and my gods. And so what happens is we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They're put in this position where they are faced with the decision, either we will bow to what the culture, the Babylonian culture says is the right thing to do, or we're going to take a stand because we know that our God said that, not, that we should not worship any other gods, any other idols, um, besides only worshiping him. We should only be focused on him. We won't bow our knee to anyone that is a false god. So they have standards, and they know uh, we have a choice. Either we will stand or we will bow. The problem is this. King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow... I'm going to kill you. <laughs> if you don't bow, uh, I'm going to burn you alive, basically. I have this fiery furnace. I'm going to toss you in there uh, with whoever doesn't, and you're going to be burnt alive. And here's what we see. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they choose to stand. They choose to stand. And we're going to pick up the story here in just a second, but here's one thing I want to remind us of. In my study this past week, one of the things that I've never honestly realized is the age of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are around, at this story, around 14 years old. Wow, right? 14 years old. In my head growing up, they were 40 or 50 years old, maybe 30 years old, right? They were bright young men, yes, but I thought, man, for them to be in some type of a leadership position, surely they were a little bit more, um, you know, aged and experienced. But at a roughly, some even believe younger than that, at roughly 14 years old, these three boys, if we can call them that, teenagers, these three teenagers were willing to stand for their God even unto death, even unto death. And I wonder, I think many times we maybe wonder why God doesn't show up in our lives. Am I willing to really stand for him? I think of myself, I'm 31, if I was in this position I got a wife, I have a son, I got a lot of life left to live. Am I willing, would we be willing to stand when culture says to bow? And if you don't, we're not just going to kill you, we're not just going to shoot you, right? We're going to toss you into a fiery furnace. We're going to burn you alive. Will we stand for him? That's why this, this series, this teaching is so important. And that's why taking, when we look at scripture, it's so important to look at it and then ask some important questions. Where am I in this story? Number one, where's Jesus in this story? But then where am I in this story? Because when I ask where am I in this story, the Holy Spirit will reveal to me where I'm at as far as my walk with Christ. He shows me, many times we like to relate to the, the spiritual heroes of the Bible, right? Well, yeah, I want to relate to David. But many times I'm not David. Many times I'm one of the guys that's hiding in a tent while David's slaying the giant. And the Holy Spirit wants to show you that so that you can become David and slay the giant. Am I, you understand what I'm saying? Many times we have to ask ourselves, where are we in this story truly so that the Holy Spirit can convict us to move forward so that we can grow in our walk? These boys were 14 years old. They choose to stand. And here's where we're going to pick up in Daniel. Daniel 3, verse 13, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue that I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse... You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Mm, that's a bold statement. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? Pride. That's a whole lot of pride in Nebuchadnezzar right here. He thinks he's something. 
And here's the first question I want us to ask, though. Here's some lessons that we can learn as we go through the fire. When we choose to stand, there's going to be fire. I promise you that. Here's the lessons we can learn. The first point is this. What's the tune? That's the question. If you're taking notes, write that in. What's the tune? What's the tune? You see, we're not always going to face a situation where if we don't bow, um, that we're going to die physically, right? Luckily, like I said, we're earlier, we're a little, we can, we're pretty spoiled in America. Like as of right now, at least now, I think in the coming days, things might shift a little bit and are, continu- are starting to shift a little bit. However, where we're at, especially in Tulsa, like we're not going to face physical death if I don't choose to, to bow to something that culture is uh, presenting to me. But the devil knows that there are things in your life and in my life that we are prone to bow to, and let me say it like this. I, the question, what's the tune, means this. What's the tune that the devil will begin to play that tempts you to bow? In this story, they would play all the instruments and they would bow to the golden idol. Culture has placed many, and the devil has placed many golden idols out there in our world. And the question is, what is the tune that the devil will begin to play that tempts me personally to bow to a certain idol? Let's talk about it. Maybe it's pride, right? I have have so much pride in my life that when situations come up that I am not willing to, to go ask for forgiveness. I'm not willing to admit when I am wrong. I'm not willing to go and to make things right in relationships. And the devil will begin to play this tune of pride. And guess what? I'm beginning to bow my my knee to pride in my life, which is the greatest sin because pride keeps me from asking for forgiveness. It keeps me from running to God. Maybe for for somebody else, maybe it's your sex drive. And the devil begins to, to play that tune of your sex drive. And so you're tempted to, to look at pornography, to bow your knee to pornography. You're tempted to, if you're not married, to go too far with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Sexually, physically. Oh, it's a big deal. We're going to be married. We're, we're, gonna, you know, we're, we're basically married. Whatever it is. But according to God's word, you haven't actually been married. Maybe you're tempted to, to even emotionally cheat on your spouse at work. You have somebody that you're just flirting with and it's all innocent we're not acting on it but I'm emotionally getting invested with somebody else and I'm beginning to bow my knee to an idol that the world that culture has put up we're going to talk more about that next week we're going to talk about purity we're going to talk about sexual purity we're going to talk about some of the big things that that culture says is okay but that is obviously not okay when it comes to God's word and when we look at God's word maybe for you it's success Maybe for you, you will do whatever it takes to get ahead, whatever it takes to make the extra dollar, whatever it takes to, uh, yeah, I charge this person that amount, but I'm going to charge this person a little extra because of this, this, and this. Maybe you um, aren't totally honest in your business dealings because you want to be successful. You want to get that raise. You want to look better than everyone else. What is the tune that the enemy will play for you? And as I give some of those examples, I promise you the Holy Spirit's already working in your heart. First thing, you already know. You already know. What is that thing for you? What is that thing for you? Let's look at how we deal with this. Whenever that tune is played, how do we make sure that we don't bow our knee to what the enemy wants us to? In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says this. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. This is the new living. It says it a little bit different than maybe you've heard it before. He says this in verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human 
reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. We teach them to obey Christ. One of the things I want you to see here is what? We knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. Human reasoning. Our minds and what culture wants to put into our minds as okay are some of the biggest strongholds we face to experiencing what God has for us, what God has for us. Culture will say that certain things aren't a big deal when Scripture says that certain things are sinful and that's not what God has for you. Culture will say that certain things are just okay and it's acceptable, it's just how the world is. When God says, no, reject those things and stand for something that is pure, that is righteous, and that is holy, right? Culture will say, well, it's okay to sleep around before you get married, right? You want to make sure that you go good together with this person before you actually commit. But God's word commands us to what? To be pure, to be holy. Whenever you become married and you have sex and you are, you're coming together, that's part of your covenant relationship. But culture says it's not a covenant relationship. It's just a contract piece of paper. What's the big deal? You're probably going to get divorced anyway, right? That's culture. And if we're not careful, human reasoning becomes stronghold. Human reasoning is what culture puts on us. And it says it's okay. It's not that big of a deal, but we're to reject and overcome these strongholds. I've got, in the New King James, it says it this way, to take every thought captive. And here, I love the way it says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. In the original language, to take every thought captive literally is translated to take it captive with a spear to its back. When we look at the armor of God, we have a spear of prayer. When we look at, uh, it was a, a part of the, I'm getting to a different topic. We have a spear of prayer. Let me stay on topic here. A spear of prayer. That is how we take these strongholds and we defeat them, is through prayer. And when those thoughts come, I don't just sit there and I think about it. Well, I'm just, it's just a thought. I'm not acting on it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, really, I'm not letting it come out of my mouth. But when I dwell on things, if I allow thoughts that are not Christ-like to come into my mind, and they're going to try to come into my mind, but if I allow them to stay, that's where strongholds are built. The problem is we become okay with the things staying in our mind. When we're commanded to take every thought captive, and not just that, with a spear to its back, uh, violently, if you will, take it captive and what? Teach it to obey Christ. I love that part. In order to teach it to obey Christ, I have to know what Christ says. But so many people are trying to take thoughts captive, whether it's lustful thoughts, prideful thoughts, whether it's gossip, whatever it is. They're trying to take these thoughts captive, but they don't know God's word, and so they have no spear. They can't take it captive because they don't know how to teach it to obey something that they don't know themselves. Can we be real today? I have to know what his word says so that when the enemy comes knocking and he throws thoughts in here, this is the first place he's going to attack is my mind. My mind, when he shows up, I have got to say, hold up, <laughs> that doesn't align with God's word. So I'm going to get that out of here. You, you can go ahead and go out of here. Whenever it comes up, whether it's, whether it's attacks for me personally, what's about my family, whatever it might be, I have to choose to take it captive and teach it to obey Christ. But I got to know what his word says before I can teach it anything. So here's the thing. What's the tune? 
for me. What's the tune? Here's why this is important. How I respond to the tune, right? How I respond to the thing that the enemy always throws back at me, my thing. How I respond to the tune is always an act of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. To the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. Let me say that again. How you respond to the tune is always an act of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. This is a big deal. If I don't take thoughts captive, I am showing my loyalty to the kingdom of darkness. When I take thoughts captive, I am showing my loyalty to the kingdom of light. Do you see it? How I respond, I'll take it a step further, how I respond to, to any situation that comes against me, whether it's a word from, from the doctor, whether it's um, a situation at work, whatever it might be, how I respond, what, what I say and what I do, my actions, is a sign and it is a visual representation of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. We're going to talk about God wants to reward loyal hearts. He can't reward people that aren't loyal to him. We'll get to that in just a second. So here's the thing. How I respond to culture's perverted view of marriage is an act of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. What's, what's God's marriage? One man, born a man. One woman, born a woman, because God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes on you. He doesn't make mistakes on gender. He made people that way for a reason. He made you that way for a reason. Don't let the enemy, well, that was last week's message. Don't let the enemy pervert that. One man, born a man. One woman, born a woman. Coming together in biblical marriage, making a covenant between the two with God. That's biblical marriage. Anything outside of that is a perverted, cheap view of what God has for us. How I respond and how I act <laughs> is a it's a sign of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. Let me continue on. How I respond when my spouse, my spouse treats me a certain way or doesn't treat me a certain way. How I respond is an act of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. If I'm constantly living in a, in a spirit of offense, if I'm constantly being offended, if I'm constantly being hurt, I have good news for you. That's not what God wants for you. God doesn't want our emotions to be a crazy roller coaster every single day. He's given us emotions for a reason. He's given us feelings for a reason. They are good, yes. However, when it comes to love and when it comes to our marriages specifically, God's design is unity, never division. It's always unity. So how I respond, God wants me to respond in a Christ-like way. Now, obviously, there's some things that happen whenever it's an abusive relationship or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when two Christian people are in unity together and married together. How I respond, if I'm always responding in a cheap, offended, always hurt type of a way, God doesn't want that because <laughs> that's causing division. He wants you to be in unity. How I treat the person who's caught or confused in their sin how I treat them is an act of loyalty to one kingdom or the other. How I treat them. What I allow to come out of my mouth to people and in situations is a huge deal. Let me show you what Jesus said. In Matthew 12, 36, he says this. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Remember growing up and it was like sticks and stones, maybe break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, 
Uh, you know, Dwight Schrute, false, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not right. Words are a big deal. Every idle word, every idle word, idle means this, careless, empty, lazy. Every idle word. This is a spiritually idle word. What I allow to come out of my mouth is a big deal. Jesus also said what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we, culture likes to say, well, I said that, but I didn't really mean it. I said that, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And Jesus says, we're going to talk about it someday. Every idle word we speak. I'm not saying this to just beat us over the head. Okay, because I've been guilty of this as well. Here's what I'm saying is in order to truly stand and be light in a culture that is dark and perverted, we have got to talk about some of these verses that make us be like, oh, I've actually got to change some stuff in my life. I actually have to address how am I walking the, the face of this earth? Am I walking as light or am I just blending in with culture? Because if I'm blending in, I'm probably going the wrong way. I'm probably going the wrong direction. Amen? Let's go on to point number two. Point number two. We could keep going, but I'm going to go to point number two. Here we go. When you stand for God, God stands with you. When you stand for God, God stands with you. With you. And this is the promise. Because here's the thing, when it comes to standing, standing is going to be an uncomfortable situation. Standing is going to be a time where it takes some boldness. Standing is going to be a time where I don't have the words to say, but Jesus said through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will give you the words to say when you stand for my kingdom. Standing is going to be uncomfortable. And so here's the promise from God. He says, when you stand, good news, I will be with you. I will be with you. You're not standing alone, but I will be with you. Let's look at it. In, in verse uh, 16 here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar's threats. They're 14. Look at this. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Man, they're even respectful in it while they're, while they're disobeying. Your majesty, right? Still respectful. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, that's the third thing we're going to look at. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Man, you're talking about some Holy Spirit boldness from these dudes, these boys, right? Here's three things that we see. This is how you stand for God. This is what living, uh, living by faith truly looks like in our world, no matter what you face, whether it's culture pressuring you to, to, um, uh, to, to fold or whether it's just a situation where, man, you don't have any hope, but you need some hope. You need God to come through. Here's how you do it. There's three things in these verses that, that we see. The first thing they say is this, God can. God can. They knew God enough to say he can do something about this situation. God can do it. The second thing they say is he will. God can save us. He will save us. That's the proof of their faith. They had knowledge of him, his character. Then they had proof. They knew their faith. They they, they knew by faith he will. But here's point number three. This is the third one that they say in verse 18 here. Mm. Even if he doesn't, we will trust him anyway. Even if he doesn't, we will trust him. And you just need to know we will never serve your gods or the golden statue 
Man, I love it. I love that kind of boldness because that's what it's going to take to actually, to actually change culture. Can we talk about that for a second? It's easy to turn on the news and complain about how our world is going to hell. It's easy to get on Facebook and complain about what the politicians are doing or what they're not doing or who's doing what and who's allowing this to be in what school or whatever. It's easy to just complain about it, but it's tough to stand and to do something about it. In order to stand and do something about it, we've got to have some boldness and say we will never, we will stand and we will never bow to something that goes against this right here. Amen? It's going to take some boldness, but I love how they respond. God can, he will, and even if he doesn't, we win anyway. That's what they're saying. Even if he doesn't, we win every way. The enemy wants you to get your, your life and live your life with conditional faith. Conditional faith. Let's talk about this for a second. The enemy wants you to live your life with conditional faith. That is faith based on circumstance. And this is what I see time and time again as I talk with people uh, in, in, in America. I feel like uh, he wants you to live your life based on uh, your faith based on circumstance, meaning this. When things are good, your faith is strong. And when things are bad, your faith is destroyed. When things are good, man, God's good, things are good. But when the enemy truly comes to attack, my faith is destroyed, meaning this. I blame God for things. I'm mad at God. I run from God. Rather than acknowledge God and ask him and seek his word to truly be a part of what's happening when life is not good. So the enemy knows this. If he can just adjust your circumstances, your faith will go out the window, right? Well, man, they're doing really good. They've been, in church, they've been in church consistently. They're reading their Bible. They're praying every single day. Throw a little sickness in there. I know it's going to mess them all up. Conditional faith. Throw a little temptation in there. They're going to fall every single time. Throw a little confusion in there. They're going to doubt God every time. Hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith, it was built on the character and the nature of God. It was not built on God doing things their way. Let me say that again. <laughs> their, faith, the, their faith was built on the character and the nature of God. It was not built on God doing things their way. Many times that's where we build our faith, and I've been guilty of that. God, you, I'm praying for this, and you need to answer it this way. But God says, my thoughts, my ways are so much higher than yours. Why would you limit me to yours? He says, why don't you trust me a little bit? Pray, yes. Pray his perfect will, which is this word right here. Pray, yes. But expect God to move not in ways that only your little mind can comprehend. Because this is the earth filter. This is one of the biggest things that hinders God from truly answering our prayers. Because this thing creates doubt. This thing says that's impossible. This thing keeps us and filters our prayers in a way that keep them from being powerful and producing wonderful results like they're commanded to in the book of James. 
Their faith was, not, was built on the character and the nature of God. It was not built on God doing things their way. Let me show you. Here's what happened. It's in Daniel 3.19. We'll read the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar, he was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of his strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and he exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, remember that, we're going to come back to that, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Notice uh, he didn't call for the fourth man to come out right? <laughs> he didn't say, and the other guy that's in there, no, he, didn't. he knew he wanted no business dealing with the fourth man that was in the flames, right? He was prideful. He has been humbled. He knew, hey, I've seen what's going on. I don't want that fourth guy coming out here because I'm going to get my butt kicked if he does, right? Come on. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, uh, governors, and advisors, they crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was uh, singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. How many of you know, if you've ever had a bonfire, if you've ever you know, done even some cooking outside, smoke clings to you, Right? If you go, you give some, you know, go get some s'mores just for a little bit. If you're out there by the bonfire for 30 minutes, for 10 minutes, smoke is going to cling to you. The smell clings to you. And for them to walk out and not smell like smoke is miraculous by itself. But let's dive into it a little bit. God didn't, here's here's what's amazing. Their faith was in what? The character of God, not in him answering the prayer how they wanted him to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have loved for God to put out the fire, Right? Does that make sense? Don't give me the fire. God, just, just, we'll walk in and you just cause a big, you know, breeze to come through and just wipe that fire out and we'll be good. Probably would have had a similar result. But our God is so much higher than the things that we face. He doesn't even always have to even acknowledge the things that seem like sudden death to us. He doesn't give it the time of day. He doesn't come in and say, man, that's really intimidating. He says, no, it won't touch you. I'm way higher than the fire ever is. I'm way higher. God didn't put out the fire. He was with them in the fire. And many times we just pray that God won't put us in the fire. Don't let us go in the fire. Rather than, am I praying for closeness with him so even if the fire comes, which it will, I'll be fine. Do you see the difference? God, don't, bring, don't send the fire. Don't put me in the fire. Versus, God, I'm going to be close with you. I'm going to walk close with you. I'm going to stay close with you. So when I walk through the fire, it won't touch me. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you see it? God always wants closeness. He doesn't want to be our vending machine. He wants closeness. And if I don't have closeness, I will never stand for righteousness. 
If I don't have closeness, I will never stand for righteousness because I don't know his character and I am not like him. He wants to be with you in the fire. Sometimes God will deliver us from the fire, but sometimes God delivers us through the fire, through the fire. When we choose to stand, it doesn't mean that we won't experience fire. I've just talked about this, but let me say it this way. I would also say, when, I would say it this way. When we choose to stand, it almost guarantees that we will go through the fire. When we choose to stand, it almost guarantees that we will go through the fire. Whether the fire is created or we're thrown into it by culture and culture's agenda from the world or from religious people, it's going to be one or the other. You will have to go through the fire. I don't want to burst your bubble, but here's the good news. Like I said, when you stand for God, he is with you. When you go through the fire, it will mean that Jesus will be with us in it. And here's the thing. We will come out unbound. Did you see that in the story? What did they do? They first, they went and they got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They bound them. And then rage causes you to do foolish things. Nebuchadnezzar gets his strongest men and he kills them out of a fit of rage. He says, get my strongest men to tie them up. The strongest men die because of the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the furnace, tied up. But then what does he see? He says, I see four men walking around unbound. You see, we like to think that the fire didn't do anything to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it did everything for him. It set them free. The fire set them free. Sometimes... God will allow us. He won't cause us to go into the fire, but he will use that fire to set us free from things that have had us bound. Does that make sense? He wants us to come out unbound. Let me, let me show you. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I love this. I talked about this past Wednesday. What I love about this verse is this. It says his eyes, he's looking to and fro. Whenever you lose something, lose your car keys, and then you find it, what happens, right? You stop looking, right? If you kept looking, even though you had your car keys, you'd seem a little crazy. God is showing us that he is constantly searching for people whose heart is loyal to him. He's showing us that it's tough to find people whose heart is loyal to him. He's continually looking. But when he finds it, he shows himself strong on their behalf. Meaning what? He may find it in three 14-year-old boys who are getting thrown into the fire. But he says, I see that loyal heart. And because you have that loyal heart, I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf. I'm going to be in there with you in the fire. They weren't just standing there wondering what to do. I love it. They were walking around in the fire. What do you think they were? I mean, obviously, they're probably talking about something, right? They're walking in the fire, what? With Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. He's in there with them, walking around. No big deal. God wants to show himself strong on our behalf. But here's what happens. In order for us to see loyalty, you don't know when... You don't know someone is loyal until they have a chance to be disloyal. You don't know someone is loyal until they have a chance to be disloyal. Let me say it this way. The proof of loyalty is realized when the convenience of disloyalty is rejected. Let me say it again. I know it's a mouthful. The proof of loyalty is realized when the convenience of disloyalty is rejected. It's convenient to bow. 
It's easy to bow. It's easy to give in and convenient to give in to whatever culture says is okay, whatever the world says, ah, it's not that big of a deal. When it, but when it goes against God's word, it causes us and it shows us and we're showing God we're not loyal to his heart. And God is looking desperately for people who will say, I know it's convenient to bow, but I reject that. I am going to be loyal even when it's convenient to bow. Here's what happens. God shows himself strong in Daniel 3.30. says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions. What was the response? He saved their life. That's good enough, right? But he says, not only that, I'm going to give you an abundance of favor, and I'm going to move you on up the chain. I'm going to move you on up the chain. Notice, he didn't set them free from the, the, the Babylonians. He didn't set them free from their jobs. He said, I still got work for you boys to do. You've shown that you're loyal. I got work for you to do in that perverted, twisted, messed up culture. But I'll give you some favor while you're in it. Many times we just want God to, God, pull me out of the fire. Pull me out of here. Get me out of the mess. God says, I need you in the mess sometimes because I'm going to use it. I didn't cause it. He's a good father, but he says, I will use it for my glory. You better believe that. The last thing I have for you is this. Let's make it personal. <laughs> so the last question is this. Last fill in the blank is this. How do I smell? <laughs> How do I smell? Don't be weird about it, okay? <laughs> How do I smell? They came out. Smoke clings, right? It clings to you. These boys came out with one crazy story, right? The, the story to top all stories at any party, right? They're at the party. They're hanging out with people. Some, some big guy chimes in. Man, I used to bench 350 pounds back in the day. And then, and then they chime up. Well, we walked out of a fiery furnace one day with Jesus. It was nuts, right? Like, there's nothing. What do you say after that? There's nothing you can do, right? They got the ultimate story, the ultimate party story. Smoke doesn't cling to them. It set them free. It burned off their, the things that had them tied. And here's the question. How do I smell? Let's make it personal. Am I allowing the smell or the aroma of what I've been through to cling to me? Am I allowing the smell of what I've been through to cling to me? Have you ever met someone and the more you got to know them, they were the kind of people that you just loved, right? You love to be around them. And then one day you hear their story and you're like, I would have had no idea that you went through that. I would have had no idea that, that your, marriage, your marriage is amazing. I would have had no idea that 10 years ago you were on the edge of divorce. I would have had no idea you went through that battle with cancer. I would have no idea that you lost a loved one before it was their time. What's happened in those moments is through the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, those individuals, they haven't allowed the smell of their past to cling to them and even worse, to identify them. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to identify with what you've been through. 
Here's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You better believe they told that story time and time and time again, right? It wasn't that they stopped telling the story because we don't want to glorify the fire. No, they told the story to glorify God. But they didn't let the smoke stay on them. They said, we're not carrying around the smoke smell. We're not going to make ourselves smell like smoke so people will ask us about the smoke smell. Why do you guys smell like smoke? Well, let me tell you a few years back. No, they didn't keep digging it up keep reapplying it to themselves, keep putting the smoke back on them. They said, no, we've been through it. God saved us from it, and I'm not going to let it identify me. I'm going to glorify him in it. I found freedom in it. I've moved past it. But this is what the enemy wants us to do. He's going to say, you've been through this fire, and now that fire is, the, is how you identify the rest of your life. That fire will show you how you're going to be the rest of your life. You're always going to smell like smoke, but you know, it's just because you've been through some stuff. Baloney, come on. We got to move forward in freedom. Anyone who puts their hand, Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you keep looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom. He says, if we're going to go, if we're going to take ground, if we're going to do some work for the kingdom, let's move forward together. We can't move forward if we're always looking back saying, but I, back here, but I still kind of struggle with, God wants to give you through supernatural Holy Spirit help, he wants to free you from your past, not so that you just forget it and it never happened, so that you can say, look where I was, lost, nearly dead, nearly broken, my marriage, or we're on the brink of divorce, my kids confused about their gender or battling homosexual thoughts, I was, we were stuck here in this mess, but guess what God did? Look what God did in my family. We are in life, in life abundantly, not because of what we did, but because we said, God, we need some help, we got some supernatural freedom through prayer through community and guess what because of that we walk free in life and life abundantly the smoke isn't on me anymore and some of you walked in today and you have that spiritual stench of what you've been through still clinging to you to that loved one that you lost early or to that relationship that was broken and it's clinging to you and all it's doing is pulling you back and Jesus told me to tell you today you can be free Here's the contrast. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says this. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You ever wonder what Jesus smells like? Sweet-smelling aroma. The aroma of Jesus is something people love to be around. So here's the question today. Am I carrying the stench of my past or am I carrying the aroma of Jesus? Am I carrying the stench of my past or am I carrying the aroma of Jesus? Because here's the truth. You smell like what you're closest to. You smell like what you're closest to. Anybody in here got dogs? Okay, I got some big dogs, okay? You spend about five minutes with them dogs letting them crawl on you and lick you in the face. You smell like dog, okay? It's not good. You smell like what you're closest to. And if I'm choosing to stay in my past and hold on to that fiery furnace that tried to burn me up and stay in my past and let the smell cling to me constantly, I can't be used to my fullest potential in the kingdom of God because no one wants to be around the stench. Can we be real? No one wants to be around the stench. 
They want to be around the aroma of Jesus. He says, don't disregard, share the story, please, because I will be glorified in it. But he says, walk in a way that people love to be around you. Why? Because you're living, loving, and looking like Jesus. When you draw near to God, he rubs off on you and you begin to spiritually, not physically, spiritually smell like him. And it's a sweet smelling aroma. And I don't know what you've been through. Man, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know everyone's story in detail. But in my story, I've faced some fiery furnaces. But I refuse. And my heart is that we, as a church body, we as believers across the world, would refuse to glorify the furnace. And we would glorify our Heavenly Father, our Savior. We gotta stop glorifying the furnace. We're not meant to smell like smoke. We may go through it. But we're here to be like Jesus. And if you're in a fiery furnace, if you're in a tough season today, whether it's brought on by culture or just the enemy in general, when you stand for God, God will be with you. Go to his word, speak his word, pray his word. He will run to you. Two reflection questions really quick. They're on your notes. What's the tune the devil plays that tempts me to bow? I need to know so I know how to address it. Second one is, am I carrying the stench of my past or the aroma of Jesus? It's time to be honest today. What am I truly carrying around with me? But here's the action step. This is the most important one. The action step is this, James 4, 8. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The New King James says you are double-minded If you want to take a step further, just read James 4. He says, you are adulterers and adulteresses. When Christians, double-minded means this, I'm trying to hold on to the world and I'm trying to hold on to God at the same time. My mind is split. My attention is divided. I can't stand this way. He says, you need to commit to one or the other. And the only way to do that is by being close with God. Come close to him. He will come close to you. James 4, he he says, adulterers and adulteresses, he says, because you're in covenant with God, but you're having an affair with worldliness. It's time to purify ourselves. It's time to cut out the world's junk. It's time to cut out all of this garbage that culture says is okay, that we've allowed in our homes that don't align with God's word. And the promise is so good. I know, can I... This is not the message that's easy to preach. Can I be real? Okay. But it's the message that needs to be preached. Because the promise is true. If you hear anything today, yeah, you may feel convicted about some some certain things. That's good. That's healthy. But the promise is true. God is looking to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on people's behalf who are loyal, who have loyal hearts to him. And when we're loyal... When we are people of loyalty to our Heavenly Father, 
and I stand for what is right and I don't let the world corrupt me. He stands with me and for me and he moves me forward to freedom. Amen? God is so good. His word is freeing. It feels convicting because he says, I gotta get some junk out so you can go forward in freedom and we'll do what I have for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just pray that today, Holy Spirit, I pray that even as I'm speaking, that you're, you're speaking to us as individuals, revealing to us the things that we need to give to you, revealing to us the tune that the devil tries to play that we're tempted to bow in. Lord, I pray that you would help us identify so we can take those thoughts captive in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that if we're going through a furnace right now, we're going through a fire right now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us in it. You would be with us in it, and we'll come out the other side not even smelling like smoke because we walk in victory because we walk with you. God, I pray that if any one of us in here are still carrying around our past with us, letting us, letting it distract us, letting it hold us back from what you have for us. Lord, I pray that today is the day of freedom. I pray that as we go, that you would help us give it to you and move forward, put our hand to the plow and move forward, not to look back, but to follow you with expectancy in everything. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.